0: Section thirty eight of the American Book of the Dog. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joshua Dickey. The American Book of the Dog, G. O. Shields, Editor. Section thirty eight. The Mastiff by William Wade. In writing of Mastiffs, certainly one of the very oldest breeds of dogs now existing there is a strong temptation to go into an inquiry as to the origin of so ancient a breed to inquire as to where it sprung from how it was developed etc this however i cannot bring myself to do all theories as to the matter would be but theories everything about the question would be misty and shadowy and where it is perfectly evident that no valid proof can be produced for any of the many theories as to the origin or relationship of the breed it seems to me most unprofitable to waste our time in hazardous speculation which can profit nobody should there be any readers of the american book of the dog who delight in such abstruse and antiquarian pursuits i would commend to them the admirable monograph of the mastiff prepared by mr m b Wynne the noted english authority on the breed in which work he has displayed a remarkable degree of patience and has devoted an amount of research to this branch of the subject demonstrating most clearly that with him it was a labor of love footnote a few of mr wynne's most pointed observations on the subject may properly be quoted here on pages seventeen and eighteen he says that a true asiatic mastiff has existed from very remote ages is proved by their figures represented on assyrian sculptures some six hundred and fifty years b c these show the broad short truncated muzzle of the true mastiff the lips being deeply pendulous and the loose skin down the sides of the face falling in heavy folds the ears being wholly pendent and the dewlap very pronounced which seems characteristic of the asiatic mastiff in its purity the body cylindrical and heavy the limbs extremely massive the stem mostly carried upward over the back in a hoop-like curve these dogs appear to have been of vast size equaling in proportion the largest of our modern dogs and their height may be estimated to have been from thirty to thirty-four inches at shoulder, and at times even thirty-six inches, perhaps. Mr. Wynn traces the history of these dogs into Greece, Alexander the Great having introduced them there in 326 BC, and notes Marco Polo's mention, A.D. 1295, of mastiffs in Central Asia as large as asses. On page 23, the same author writes, the earliest and most incontestable proofs we possess of the origin of the various races of dogs are of the delineations of the animals that existed in the days of early assyrian egyptian and grecian sculpture and among these we may trace dogs of the mastiff as well as of the greyhound and other types existing before the christian era the characteristics are the same today as they were when the noble mastiff delighted the eyes of the assyrian kings reverting to page sixteen of the same work we read the theory or opinion i hold is that the english mastiff from the earliest times has existed in britain in its purity resembling in many respects a vast bulldog being the ancestor of that breed such being the true pugnaces particular to britain and Gaul." mentioned by the historians, and by crossing these with larger breeds, particularly the Asiatic Mastiff, introduced probably by the Phoenicians, and other large races of the Pugnaces, as the White Allen or War Dogs of the Alani, a larger variety of the Mastiff was formed. Again on page 35. From the preceding it will be seen that dogs of a true Mastiff type have existed from the earliest times. And it has been conjectured that the Phoenicians introduced the Assyrian or Asiatic mastiff into Britain. Further on, the same writer states that Phoenician traders probably bartered specimens of the Asiatic mastiff to the Britons in exchange for tin, which was, in early ages, an important article of commerce between the two countries. Idstone claims that the mastiff existed in France at an early period, that it was known to the Greeks as Mollusus, from mollusis a part of epirus and that it was subsequently distributed from middle asia throughout europe End of footnote. for my part i do not believe that the mastiff as we have him to-day existed in anything but a very rough and crude form a few hundred years since england evidently had in a very early day a dog used for somewhat the same purpose as the mastiff is now used this was the broad-mouthed dog of Britain, but whether it was the Mastiff or the Bulldog is, to my mind, pure conjecture. Whether the Mastiff is an offshoot of the Bulldog, bred in a different direction for size, etc., or vice versa, or whether both sprung from the same root and have been differently developed is merely guesswork, and I never had the patience to thoroughly read such tiresome gropings in the dark, except when I read Win as a matter of duty i fancy that the earliest picture of a mastiff by a well-known and prominent artist is that shown in van Dyck's picture of the children of king charles the first as the child standing beside the dog appears to have been about twelve years old at the time it may reasonably be assumed that the picture was painted about sixteen thirty two and the dog shown in the picture would not be disgraced now in a class of show specimen mr wynn characterizes this dog as of boarhound type with which statement i cannot agree the width of skull the raised ridges over the eyebrows the comparatively short muzzle and the gentle loving expression are most diverse from the long muzzle narrow skull and truculent expression common in the boarhound no one can study the affectionate expression of the upturned eye of the noble dog shown in this picture without experiencing a feeling of admiration for the grand character of the dog it indicates in unmistakable terms that serious trouble would instantly befall anyone who might attempt to harm his young protege next in order of date to this picture within my observation comes the picture in bingley's memoirs of british quadrupeds published in 1809 wherein a dog of admirable mastiff type in body and legs is shown but this specimen appears too much tucked in at the flanks and with the most peculiar of heads the muzzle being far shorter in proportion to the general size of the dog than in the most snub-nosed pet of the fancy of today, or rather of a few years since while the skull is preposterously long in just the same ratio that the muzzle is short it may be said that hewitt the artist who illustrated bingley had drawn on his fancy and that the picture was no likeness but such a position is untenable by reason of the striking fidelity to life of the pictures of british wild animals shown in the same book and drawn by the same artist it may therefore reasonably be assumed that his picture of the mastiff was true to the subject Thus it appears that the second type of Mastiff was a long-skulled, short-muzzled one. Coming on down through the Mastiff ages, we reach the pictures of Luki's Bruce the first and second, Luki's Lion, Lord Waldegrave's Couches, and other fountains of our present Mastiff blood, and we find dogs of what would now be called a long-faced type, Couches showing in his portrait a most savage temper, while Lion appears singularly gentle and noble in his expression. Possibly I am in error in noting these last two dogs among English Mastiffs, as both came from Mount St. Bernard, but for all that they were of high English Mastiff type, strengthening the claim of Mr. Wynne, Colonel Garnier, and others that the English and Alpine Mastiff only differed in point of size, the latter being the larger. The next type illustrated is the one that would now be called Houndy a lurcher etc as evidenced by the famous old champion turk miss hale's lion colonel and salisbury these dogs had long muzzles deep and blunt showed general symmetry and vigor and were succeeded by the crown prince disposition of puggy undershot muzzles straight hawks flabby obesity and lack of vigor i do not mean to say that at any of these periods either type was universal but it is certain that during the latter years the rage was for certain peculiarities and dogs not conforming to the dictates of the fashion were in the vernacular of dog shows no mastiffs van dyke's and bingley's pictures only teach us that there were such dogs but we do not know whether the majority of the breed then existing was of similar type in fact it is reasonable to assume that there was no such thing as type a hundred years ago in those days breeders bred only for specific use and the appearance of the animal was a matter of little importance the early history of the mastiff in america is a broken chapter enveloped in a good deal of doubt of course mastiffs were imported into the colonies in early days just as any other breed might have been but their blood soon became mingled with that of the average dog of the land and for years no pure strains were bred new englanders imported many but unfortunately they were not careful as to the pedigrees they got with the animals and the result is that new england pedigrees are an amusing study for their complications and one is often puzzled to know whether the pedigree is a blundering fraud or an honest mistake Messrs Milliken, Kelly, Boditch and others imported dogs as early as the 18th century some of which must have been of considerable merit but as far as the value of their pedigrees is concerned they are equal to by dog ex bitch a uh, mr lloyd phoenix of new york city at an early day imported a litter brother of the famous champion king and a black bitch from the noted dealer bill george and there can be no doubt as to the honesty of this transaction, George being above suspicion, but unfortunately he preserved no records of what became of the dogs, or what offspring they left. Colonel Garnier brought a pair with him from England to Canada about 1837, which he left there on his return, taking only a son, Lyon, who was afterward the sire of the noted Lurkey's governor and considerable of this stock was scattered over this country, some going as far west as St. Louis, Missouri, but no traces can be found of them further than this. The earliest importations of stock of known breeding and high pedigree of which any records have been kept were those of Mr. Underwood and Mr. E. Delafield Smith of Newark, New Jersey, who bought some dogs from Mr. Frank Hinesman of Bradford, England the pedigrees of these dogs are thoroughly established and given in full and their breeding was of the highest order a curious mistake however occurred therein in printing ornaker for quaker any pedigrees running as many do to delafield smith's strain may be accepted as genuine and valuable mr r l belknap and general s l m barlow of new york also imported several mastiffs some fifteen or twenty years since but the pedigrees of such of mr belknap's as i have seen are unsatisfactory while those of general barlow's ruth and others are clear and correct mr w h lee of boston made an important record as a mastiff breeder about eighteen eighty three owning turk a fine dog of the older type and having imported ilford cromwell dr j w Alsop of middleton connecticut also did a good service about the same time importing bodacia by Raja and the pelham manor kennels by importing cato and queen the second mr charles h morgan of worcester massachusetts imported duchess of Connaught and mr herbert mead of lake wakbuk new york imported princess royal ida and ferry the most decided impetus to mastiff interest in the late years was given by the starting of the Ashmont Kennels of Boston, Massachusetts, by Doctor J. Frank Perry, with such dogs as Hero the Second, Ilford Cromwell, Lorna Doone, Balgal, etc., which may be said to have started the movement that led to the importation of such dogs as Ilford Caution, Minting, Alonzo, Ilford Chancellor, Lady Colius. Lady Phyllis, Countess of Dunsmore, Ilford Comedy, Phaedra, Cambrian Princess, Beaufort, Gerda, Moses, Rosalind, Prussian Princess, Lady Gladys, etc. The leading breeder in the country today is Mr. E. H. Moore of Melrose, Massachusetts, with Ilford Chancellor as stud dog and his galaxy of brood bitches, including Cambrian Princess, Lady Coleus, Lady Phyllis lady marjorie etc a collection not excelled either in england or in this country next in order comes mr j l winchell of fairhaven vermont with beaufort gerda ben etc followed by mr r p h durkey of chicago with melrose prince mr c c cook of canton ohio with moses not the imported dog of that name previously mentioned Menglada, etc., Dr. George B. Ayers, of Omaha, Nebraska, with Edwy, Duke of Connaught, Ilford Comedy, and Mr. Charles E. Prynne, of Peoria, Illinois, with Ormonde, Phaedra, and Lady Colery, Mr. Clinton N. Powell, of Omaha, with Edna, Donna, etc. Among other noted breeders, owners, or importers may be mentioned Messrs. E. B. Sears, Melrose, Massachusetts. Comset Kennels, 9 West 35th Street, New York City. Miss D. E. Hulk, 453 East 116th Street, New York City. W. E. Rothamel, Union Stockyard, Chicago, Illinois. F. A. Arrett, 92nd Street, between 2nd and 3rd Avenues, New York City. J. B. Hefter, 419 East 106th Street, New York City. W. A. Power, 266 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts. C. A. Altmontferger, Minden, Iowa. Houston Wyeth, St. Joseph, Missouri. A. J. Mazur, Buffalo, New York. R. R. Osterreich, Detroit, Michigan. Hugh Falconer, Shelburne, Ontario. This list of leading breeders and owners is compiled from memory, and if I have omitted any, it must be laid to forgetfulness, not to intent. Certainly the Mastiff has come to stay. Other breeds of large dog may temporarily overshadow him in point of numbers or popular fancy, but the Mastiff has too firm a position in the canine interest of the country. He represents too much of the wealth of the canine world and is too highly appreciated by dog fanciers of all classes to ever be neglected either at home or on the show bench, in one respect, the grand characteristics of the mastiff have undergone little change. I might almost say none as compared to the vast changes that have occurred in physical conformation. One of the very earliest English writers of dogs, Dr. Caius, I think mentions the masty that keepeth thy house bingley gives the mastiff a reputation for wise discrimination careful watchfulness vigilance and fondness for affording protection that seems an inherent characteristic of the race from its origin to the present day i have known pets of the show-ring dogs of the bluest of blue blood such as lord raglan brother of the famous champion orlando bodacia by Raja, persephone by debonair ex a crown prince bitch the long-faced snippy gypsy, and others of her ilk to display the same general measure of wisdom as watchdogs, and it is as the watch-dog par excellence that the mastiff is admired undoubtedly dogs of other breeds and even mongrels often but not generally display the same traits that so glorify the mastiff for instance i know that the champion st bernard berry was eminent in this respect but i also know that in this respect mastiffs average very much higher than any other breed i have owned and known intimately with abundant opportunity to study them fully a hundred mastiffs and in that number there was but one real savage dog but one that would attack except as a last resort let me illustrate and in so doing i must perforce repeat stories i have told before an old woman came to my house to stay for a fortnight being fond of dogs she soon gained gypsy's confidence and gypsy seemed as fond of her as of any member of my family a week or so after the old woman left my house she came back to get some vegetables and the cook knowing gypsy's friendliness towards the old woman gave the latter a basket and directed her to the garden where she began to pick tomatoes gypsy espying this put a stop to it by pushing the woman away but finding these intimations insufficient she bristled up and growled at her the old woman in great distress came to the cook and reported gypsy's conduct which the cook disposed of by going out to the garden picking some tomatoes and putting them in the old woman's basket when gypsy seemed to consider herself discharged from further obligation in this case when however the woman went to another part of the garden and undertook to pick beans gypsy vetoed that and fresh authority had to come from the cook permission to pick tomatoes did not by any means involve the same as to the beans hector going along the road saw a woman beating a little child with great brutality although all were strangers to him he jumped the fence and with bristled back and drawn lips inquired in doggy speech what are you doing that for the woman screeched like an owl and flew into the house when Hector jumped the fence and went on about his business. Ariant got into the room where a dance was going on, and incontently broke up the business. It looked to him altogether too much like fighting to comport with his ideas of peace. Dr. Campbell, the noted blind American now resident in England, was going over his grounds with his champion Lily the Second When she interfered with his progress in one direction, and when he did not comprehend her and persisted in going on, caught him by the leg and not a step would she let him move then he called on a member of his family for explanations and it transpired that he was on the point of walking into a deep ditch lately dug on his grounds with which he was unacquainted the famous old champion turk was a dog of the very highest courage fearing nothing that lived yet when a cat boldly kittened in his kennel turk guarded the little strangers with the utmost vigilance gypsy lion ginger lees turk bodacia and winifred all had the strong disposition to accompany members of the families when they went away from home particularly if the person was a woman or a child it was some trouble to coax lion to go off the place with a man and almost impossible to do so in daylight but if a woman went away at night he would use every endeavor to go with her and if he couldn't go would fume and fret in the most vexed style gypsy would never let my four-year-old boy go off the place alone without getting up and going with him any of the dogs i have mentioned when in charge of any person on a walk at night might stray a considerable distance away from their charge but let him hear a strange footstep and they would immediately draw near the person they were escorting and remain near until the strange footstep was lost in the distance these are but specimen bricks from many kilnfuls that i could deliver and it will be noted that in no case did the Mastiff resort to violence, gentle means in each case proving sufficient. But will a Mastiff attack, rend, and tear if occasion demands? Listen, Lyon was accustomed to working men coming around my place in their working clothes, and beyond keeping a careful watch over them, and occasionally remonstrating against what he deemed improper conduct, never molested anybody. But one morning a typical tramp came to the back door, one of your regular dyed-in-the-wool, dirty, ragged, frowsy, red-faced tramps, stinking of whiskey. Just as the cook opened the door, Lion came around the other side of the house, and with one short, hurried bark sprung straight at the fellow's throat. The cook interfered and ordered the dog off, but she might as well have whistled to the wind, and when she caught him by the collar, he jerked her across the floor as if she had been a feather, until the hired man came to her aid and succeeded in depriving Lion of a taste of that tramp. It is unnecessary to add that when my people finally got the dog under control, the tramp was out of sight, and for aught I know is running yet. Now so obedient was Lion to that cook, under ordinary circumstances, that if she put food for him on the floor and said, Lion, don't you touch that, he would back off, lick his lips, eye the food in the most wistful manner, but would lie by it all day without touching it. He knew, however, that his duty in life was to dispose of tough-looking tramps, and no order would drive him from so relished a duty. Mr. Lukey, the father of the Mastiff, was once attacked by a large Newfoundland he owned, and was in most imminent danger when his noted Countess, Dam of Governor, broke the chain by which she was fastened, attacked the Newfoundland, and although much the smaller animal, actually killed the assailant that this role of protector should be the mastiff's inborn disposition is perfectly natural as long since as the time of queen elizabeth he was the mastie that keepeth the house and for some centuries previous this must have been his vocation to have established it so firmly in his character after perhaps six hundred years of use for this purpose it is not i repeat strange that protection of life and property should be the one object in life of this grand dog. If I have not made it sufficiently plain, let me say now that the crowning glory of the mastiff, and the immeasurable value of the breed as watchdogs, lie in the marked unwillingness to resort to strong measures until mild ones have been tried and failed. Almost any breed of dogs, or non-breed, will attack strangers if need be but the mastiff is the only dog whose special characteristic it is not to attack until warning and threats have failed one of the most noble characteristics of the mastiff is his peaceable tractable disposition he can and will fight most savagely if forced into it but rarely indeed does a mastiff precipitate a fight treat him kindly and a child may control him but if he be imposed upon to such an extent that he declares war let man and beast beware for no raging lion is more fierce or courageous than a thoroughly angered mastiff perhaps the greatest pleasure of my mastiff breeding experience was in giving a mastiff puppy to the little blind deaf and dumb helen keller whose remarkable history was noted in st nicholas magazine about a year since to such a helpless object as this child such a dog as my glorious old gypsy was would be invaluable as to what a Mastiff should be in confirmation, much, if not all, depends on which post you wish to tie to. If you wish to win prizes at dog shows, be exalted as owning the crack Mastiff, the nearer you can get to the standard laid down by Mr. M. B. Wynn for the original Mastiff Club of England, the better. If you interpret this standard and scale of points with strictness in every particular, and breed to it faithfully, you will get dogs that will be bodily at least all you want and it may be mentally but if because the scale allots forty points in the hundred to head properties you magnify that forty to ninety-nine and condone weak loins straight hocks two short bodies weak joints and frightfully undershot muzzles as weighing nothing against the grand head you will probably get waddling ugly brutes that will never rise above the position of prize-winners under fancy judges. That this standard and scale of points can be carried out and still breed mastiffs as the result is shown by the Grand Dog Beaufort, chosen as an illustration of this article, a dog with the extreme of short face and realizing as near the ideal of the standard as a dog is likely ever to do yet without a single deformity and not overdone in a single particular his only fault if fault it may be termed is large dewclaws which impede his action behind and which should have been removed when a puppy as they possess no fancy merit or demerit being simply admissible beaufort's merits are in his excellent forelegs straight and strong his deep capacious chest his admirable hind legs with perfection in hocks the very broad flat kind most desirable in mastiffs his vast skull neat ears and bulky loin his head is fashionable to-day but should the longer head of turk or colonel etc become the fashion in years to come beaufort will still be thoroughly the mastiff in bodily properties as to breeding I have treated that subject at some length in the article in this book on the old english sheepdog and the advice there given is equally applicable to the breed of mastiffs all i would add is that the dog to breed to is the one noted for getting good ones and when you strike a good strain stick to it as long as it can be sustained remember that in many cases great show bitches are miserable failures as producers the rules for rearing mastiffs as distinct from those applying to other breeds are few and simple but it may be especially said of them that above all other breeds they need the most abundant exercise while young they are certainly lazy dogs indisposed to exertion and if reared singly are not likely to take the required amount of exercise to supply this it is well to procure some kind of playmate for the youngsters any cur will answer as long as it be playful and not too small if reared in litters the mastiff puppies will stimulate each other sufficiently distrust a stud-dog that is cooped up without free exercise some under these conditions do not seem to fail as stock-getters others do lord raglan was set down as impotent until his last owner put him on the road following his buggy then he got puppies with as much certainty as the average stud-dog in estimating the scale of points laid down by Mr. Wynne, it must be remembered that it was framed by a fanatic on head, one who exalted that property as high as anybody, but who at the same time insisted on bodily vigor, muscular development, and the utmost activity. I would remark as to his requirement, expression lowering, that this must not be misunderstood as savage or sullen but that the dog must present such an appearance as is calculated to deter trespassers, and, as corollary, he must be above permitting undue familiarity from strangers. His work is that of a watchdog, and such a dog must not make up with every stranger that comes along. As an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, it is best to have your watchdog impress people that they must behave with circumspection rather than that he should invite them into doing as they please, and then have to check them. One piece of advice to the visitor who goes to the home that a mastiff keepeth. Do not behave as though afraid of the dog. Many centuries of education have taught him that ill-fearers are ill-doers. Approach the house quietly, but confidently. If the mastiff barks, growls, or smells of you, try to proceed without noticing it. If he seems determined to stop your progress, stand perfectly still until some member of the family comes to your relief, remembering always that the mastiff is only a dog after all, and in doing his duty he must not be judged by the standard of a Socrates. He acts from the standpoint of his nature, not yours, so don't be angry at his doing what you would do if in his place, and provoking as the experience may be remember that it is only faithfulness on the part of the dog remember also not to attempt to caress or fondle the dog let him smell you to his heart's content and show that he is thoroughly satisfied with you before you attempt familiarities any good watchmastiff will suspect an attempt to seduce him from his duties if familiarity be resorted to before he has made up his mind on the subject be assured that the chances are ninety-nine to one in favor of the dog not hurting you in the slightest to any one who wishes to rear a true mastiff in all his perfection of utility let me say begin by making a friend of your dog let him accompany you on your walks abroad let him come into your house and lie before your fire and in every way connect himself with you and your welfare if you shut him out of your house how in the name of common sense is he to know that he has any part or interest in it you might almost as well expect watching from one of a litter of black essex pigs don't attempt to conquer him break him in or any of the brutalities common to vulgar dog breakers a mastiff that can be conquered is not the animal you could trust where you engaged in a battle to the death with a vicious burglar or tramp nor would such an animal be a bayard in the protection of your wife and children in a lonely farmhouse, with you far away. Grave faults, such as killing chickens, etc., must be eradicated, but don't go at it with a club. Remember how you would treat your child in such a case, and try to follow the same lines with your dog. Of course, allowing for the difference in mental capacity. First, love your dog. Next, make him love you. You will never regret having gained his love and confidence, and the day may come when you will be repaid a hundredfold. The nearest that a cloud ever came to my roof tree resulted from an episode that would never have happened had my glorious old Gypsy, her son's lion or Hector, Debuc, or Ginger, been at home. I gave the standard set forth by the original Mastiff Club of England, in preference to that prepared by the present old English Mastiff Club as it is simpler being free from much technicality and therefore more readily comprehended by a layman in all essentials the two are substantially the same points of the english mastiff head general very massive and short with great breadth and depth of skull and squareness of muzzle expression lowering forehead broad flat and wrinkled eyebrows heavy with a broad stop extending well into the forehead. Cheeks Full Eyes, wide apart, small and sunken, dark brown in color. Muzzle Short, truncated, deep and broad, not tapering toward the nose, jaws very wide, line of profile from stop level, not drooping toward the nose, i.e. not hound-muzzled, black in color. Nose Large nostrils large and well marked line between lips thick and pendulous they should fall forward not hanging at the corners of the mouth as in the bloodhound teeth large undershot or level ears small pendent or semi erect not placed so low as in the hound the darker the color the better body general thick set and muscular with great length and bulk on comparatively short legs neck short thick and muscular dewlap slightly developed chest deep wide between the forelegs shoulders wide apart across breast and back shoulder blades deep back long and broad loin broad flat and muscular thighs straight muscular and thick stern fine short straight thick at root tapering to tip and carried down generally forelegs short from elbow to ground straight, with plenty of bone and muscle. Hind legs straight, well curved from stifle to hock, with plenty of bone. Dew claws admissible. Feet round, large, and compact. Coat hard, short, and fine. Color fawn with black ears and muzzle. Or good brindles, equal pides are admissible and equal for purity. Award no points for color. Height general produced by depth of body not by length of limb dogs from twenty seven inches at shoulder and upward the greater the height the better providing there is no loss of symmetry and character and that the weight increases in proportion Bitches generally average three inches less than dogs scale of points for judging head forty points shape of skull ten girth of skull ten ears carriage and size five muzzle bluntness three breadth three depth three lips three color three body 35 points neck four breadth of breast four loin and back four girth of chest four shoulders four length four thighs three stern 3. Legs, 3. Feet, 2. General, 25 points. Size, height, and general appearance of bulk, 15. Coat, 5. Fawns with dark ears and muzzle or brindles with dark ears and muzzle, 5. Red with black muzzle or all black award 3 points only. Total, 100. Fawns without dark points, brindles, ditto, reds without black muzzle, and pies award no points for color. Dogs of twenty seven inches at shoulders should weigh a hundred and twenty pounds. Dogs of twenty eight inches at shoulder should weigh one hundred and thirty pounds. Dogs of twenty nine inches at shoulder should weigh one hundred and forty pounds. Dogs of thirty inches at shoulder should weigh one hundred and fifty pounds. Dogs of thirty one inches at shoulder should weigh one hundred and sixty pounds dogs of thirty-two inches at shoulder should weigh one hundred and eighty pounds dogs of thirty-three inches at shoulder should weigh one hundred and ninety pounds dogs of thirty-four inches at shoulder should weigh two hundred pounds award a less number of points in proportion to the deficiency in the specimen being judged end of section thirty eight recording by joshua dickey